Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. And welcome to 2022, or 3AC, Anno Covidi, the year of the new normal. I hope everybody had a happy new year. Before I get started on the main subject of today's episode, I wanted to just make a little announcement, and you'll be the first to hear it, and that's that it should be today that my new ebook will come out. It'll also be an ebook slash inexpensive paperback called It's the Fed, Stupid. And this title is based on what I believe is the very first article I ever wrote about politics way back in 2008. I actually have a link to that article in the ebook. And as you may have guessed, it's uh, the, the book is about the Federal Reserve And really, it's an appeal to all sides of the political spectrum to stop supporting politicians and policies that really don't make a difference and start focusing on what really would make a difference, and that's getting rid of the Federal Reserve System. And of course, I have a lot of references to people that listeners of my show are probably familiar with. Obviously, Ron Paul, who inspired my entire writing career back in 2007 when he ran for the Republican nomination for president and in 2012. And I have a lot of that writing in the book. So there's some previously published articles in there, and there's a whole lot of new material, especially stuff on the Trump phenomenon, since uh, a lot of that material was written before the emergence of Herr Trump. Of course, anybody on my email list will get a free copy of the ebook, and you're welcome to also pick up an inexpensive paperback for your friends. And if you haven't signed up on my email list already, then you're going to want to and get a free copy of this book. You still have an opportunity to get a copy of An Anti-State Christmas for a limited time today, and then the offer is going to change. So pay attention to your emails, everybody, that are on my list, and uh, you should see something coming through titled, It's the Fed, Stupid. That's the one you want to open. You can download a free copy of the book. I'll be doing an interview with Newsmax tomorrow about the book, as well as Real America's Voice TV. So I'm not sure which one of those are live or pre-recorded, 
but I'll be doing a lot of media over the next couple of weeks for the book. Look out for that. Look out for my email with your download link or join my email list so that you will be sure to get it. And I hope you enjoy that. The subject for today, though, that I really wanted to talk about was the much-talked-about interview on the Joe Rogan podcast of Dr. Robert Malone. Most of you probably have an idea who he is. He was just kicked off Twitter a few days before the interview, and what came out of the interview is that was actually a coincidence. But Dr. Robert Malone is the inventor of the technology platform, using the terms that roughly he used, that went into the mRNA vaccine. So he didn't invent the COVID vaccine, but he invented the mRNA platform to develop a vaccine like that. And of course, that's disputed because he's become an apostate and people have attacked him on various different things that he said about the COVID regime. And of course, they're trying to discredit him as an inventor of this technology. And what he said on Joe Rogan was basically, well, I have the patents to prove it, which was amusing because it just reminded me of James O'Keefe appearing on Timcast and saying that he was in a, a legal spat, I, I can't remember if it was with the New York Times or another news agency, where they were disputing reporting that he had done on a recording that he obtained through the, the means that Project Veritas obtains recordings. And the news agency is actually arguing with him about what's on there. And he's, no, I have the recording, rock beat scissors. So very funny. Same thing with Dr. Malone. Didn't use the rock beats scissors metaphor, but basically the same argument. So there's a few things I wanted to touch on that he said that were interesting to me that jumped out at me. And then I want to talk about something that neither Dr. Malone nor Joe Rogan could answer. And I think it's a question that's on everybody's mind. So give me a few minutes and I'll get to that. Just a few highlights from the interview, and, and I'll post a link on the show notes page to the Spotify link for the interview, but he confirmed some things that a lot of us have either heard or suspected or read and then were disputed by the media. I think it's somewhat acknowledged that if you have been previously infected with COVID, you might have a higher risk of vaccine side effects of from the COVID vaccine. Now, the fact that risk may still be very low does not change the fact that it, it might be greater if you previously had COVID. He confirmed that from his opinion of looking at the data. And, and everything I'm going to relate is, of course, Dr. Malone's opinion. You can go and listen to the interview for yourself. You can look at his website look at his credentials and decide for yourself how much weight to give what he says and how skeptical to be of what he says. This is a very qualified person. I think you're going to find that if you watch this interview and check his claims on the web and, and even do some web searches, both DuckDuckGo and Google will allow you to search on the web with a date range. So it's always interesting to look things up and then put a range that ends before a certain point, let's say, ends before January 2020 and see what people were saying about things like lockdowns then and masks mandates then. But I digress. So Malone talked about the risk from the vaccines if you've been previously infected. 
he talked about the study, and I know I've posted a link to the study before, that showed that natural immunity was six times to 13 times greater than the immunity you get from the vaccine. And Malone's response to that was interesting. He says, that's only hospitalized people. He said, it's really more like natural immunity is 27 times greater than the immunity you get from the vaccines. And he said, there's over 140 studies to back that up. Now, I don't have links to all those studies, but this is what he said on the podcast to Rogan. And he also talked about a CDC study that was challenging natural immunity. And he said that it had a very small sample. It had an intrinsic bias and less rigorous statistical controls. This kind of confirms something in an article that I called uh, Thomas Kuhn and the COVID cult. Don't confuse the scientists with science. And that is that it, it seems to me, and this is just my opinion from looking at the data as objectively as I can, that it always seems that the COVID regime's studies, like the one in the lab with the mannequins, are divorced from the real world. They tend to have smaller sample sizes, and they tend to be, air quotes, less scientific. And this seemed to confirm that general opinion that I have from looking at a lot of different studies. And I want to get back to that mannequin study a little bit later. So he also said that the data everywhere are compromised. He said that because they have intrinsic biases in the way they're collecting the data, the data themselves are bad. And he cited Israel as having particularly bad data. He said the Scandinavian data was better. And then he said UK to some extent. So I don't know if that means it's not as good as Scandinavian, but better than Israel's. You make the call when you listen to the podcast. But And it's funny because when you say that the Israel data is bad, the way that it would tend to be skewed would be to downplay the counter-narrative. So the counter-narrative would be that the vaccines are not all that effective. Maybe they're not quite as safe as they say they are. And also that things like mask mandates and lockdowns do not, in fact, slow the spread of the coronavirus, just as every scientific study had found starting in 1919, as I talked about in my uh, last podcast, it wasn't just some guy on the internet, which they didn't have in 1919. The executive director of the California State Board of Health did a study right after the Spanish flu, where he basically did what we're all doing right now, looked at other cities that did not impose lockdowns or quarantines, as they called them then, did not impose mask mandates, and concluded that these things don't work because the cities that didn't do them didn't fare any worse than we did. San Francisco was particularly harsh. They arrested over 300 people for violating the mask mandate that was put into effect in San Francisco. Again, what I'm saying is that if these data are compromised, then the case might be even stronger against these measures and also the vaccines if the data were not compromised. Malone then said some things in general that I tended to agree with and a few things that I don't. He pointed out something I was not aware of, but it's called the Trusted News Initiative. And this is something that was announced by the BBC. And I'll read a little bit from their website. This is basically a government media company's initiative that they're launching. And it says, 
with the introduction of several possible new COVID-19 vaccines, there has been a rise of anti-vaccine disinformation spreading online to millions of people. Examples include widely shared memes which link falsehoods about vaccines to freedom and individual liberties. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what a vaccine that you're coerced into taking by law would have to do with freedom or individual liberties. Yeah, sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory. So getting back to their press release... It says, whilst it is important to scrutinize the science behind new COVID-19 vaccines and give voice to legitimate concerns from people wondering what a coronavirus vaccine means for them, questions about levels of immunity and whether a vaccine is appropriate for those with chronic health conditions, it is vital that audiences know they can turn to sources they trust for accurate, impartial information. TNI partners will alert each other to disinformation, which poses an immediate threat to life so content can be reviewed promptly by platforms whilst publishers ensure they don't unwittingly republish dangerous falsehoods. So that begs a few questions, I would say. And, and the first one would be, if they're serious that it is important that people wondering what a coronavirus vaccine means for them if they have questions about the levels of immunity and whether a vaccine is appropriate for those with chronic health conditions. Well, let me ask you so far, if anybody has asked those questions, have they been allowed to hear any but one answer? And of course, they want the government in charge of deciding what's true and what's not, what's a legitimate question about a vaccine. And of course, this is not limited to the British government. This is the BBC speaking. But we know that for quite a while now, the Biden administration has been working with social media companies to root out disinformation and get it deplatformed. You know, this is the government deciding what's true and what isn't. And I thought I would just juxtapose that with uh, a quote from Robert H. Jackson. If you don't know who he is, he was an associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in the first half of the 20th century. He's known for being a champion of civil liberties as far as anyone on the Supreme Court ever can be. And uh, just one quote from him, he said that any lawyer worth his salt will tell the suspect in no uncertain terms to make no statement to the police under any circumstances. Full stop. So this is where Associate Justice Robert H. Jackson was coming from. And as far as the First Amendment was concerned, in an opinion that he wrote for the Supreme Court or contributed to, he had this to say, the very purpose of the First Amendment is to foreclose public authority from assuming a guardianship of the public mind through regulating the press, speech, and religion. In this field, every person must be his own watchman for truth because the forefathers did not trust any government to separate the true from the false for us. Just let those words sink in for a minute to use a expression that's overused. No, it's not the government's job to decide what's true. That's the whole point of the First Amendment for lively debate that allows wrong opinions to be shared and debated. So 
We're so far from that place right now, and it's terrifying to think about whether we ever get back. So widely accepted is it that the government has some kind of role in determining what's true and what's false. We certainly can't let them do that for us. So I agreed with a lot of what Dr. Malone had to say about his interpretation of the significance of what's going on. Of course, I defer to his expertise on the technical details of the vaccines and the various health measures. And I'm willing to listen to a similarly qualified person give an opposing view make a decision as to whose argument is more convincing. But as far as the societal implications for what's going on, of course, that's not something that Dr. Malone has any more expertise in than you or I. In fact, that is another reason for the First Amendment, because we all have an equal right to form an opinion and argue our opinions. There really is no course that Dr. Fauci or Dr. Malone took that says, once you really understand immunology and vaccines, here is how you decide whether to mandate quarantines or masks or mandate the vaccines themselves. And here's how you balance that with all the other needs of society, including liberty. No, there is no course like that. Those are decisions that we have to make while taking into account the opinion of experts but also balancing their expert opinions with other factors that they are not experts on. Okay, everyone, let's take a quick break for this important message. It's that time of the year again when we're all looking for something special to give friends and loved ones for the holidays. Unfortunately, the government and its bank have worked especially hard this year at doing what they do best, make things more expensive for the rest of us. Well, I have great news. You can get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas. That's my gift to you in appreciation for listening. But that's not all. I've also made the book available as a paperback at an incredibly low price, so you can get a few copies to give as gifts. It makes a great stocking stuffer. And don't worry, this is not some preachy libertarian treatise. It's full of fun and even includes a special Christmas beverage recipe. Get more information and your free ebook at antistatechristmas.com. That just ain't true. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up to supply and demand. They got into two questions, which I think are probably on everybody's mind. And I want to answer the first one or let you know what their answer was to the first one. And that is, how did this happen? How did we get to this place where obviously qualified physicians are being kicked off of social media platforms, deplatforms, silenced? Long-standing scientific consensus about these kinds of policies are now being thrown out the window without any evidence that they should be thrown out the window. Of course, there is no such thing as settled science. We all agree with that. 
But when there is a scientific consensus and you don't have any evidence that refutes it, then of course you don't just throw it out the window and start from scratch like you don't know anything. So we had a hundred years that lockdowns and mask mandates didn't work. It's an understandable instinct to want to impose something like that. And that gets me back to that study back in 1919. And I'll post a link to it on the show notes page again, even though I did in the last episode, because there's something about that the uh, doctor who did the study was honest enough to conclude, look, these measures that I had a hand in imposing just weren't effective. But when you read the words of the way he concludes that, you can tell that he's reluctant to say it. He's trying to find reasons why they weren't effective. And of course, that gets back to that lab experiment with the mannequins. Now, even I, who dispute the effectiveness of mask mandates, do not dispute that if somebody has the virus and they are like everybody else is all the time, expelling vapor from their nose and mouth that some of that vapor isn't going to hit the mask. Okay, this is something that just makes complete sense. And I think the lab experiment confirmed that. And the conclusion you could draw from that is that however infinitesimally small or very significant wearing that mask would be in stopping vapor from escaping the source's mouth or nose that is not necessarily going to translate to effectiveness in mandating masks for the general population, most of whom are not infected. And if they are infected or not symptomatic, and we've already gone through asymptomatic spread, you know that the scientists, and especially the policymaker, the bureaucrat, wants to do something that's going to work. And he just won't let go of his conviction. Look, I found it in the lab. I know it's going to work. Everyone's just got to do what I say and do it the right way. And of course, it's been tested over and over since the Spanish flu, since 1919. They looked at every epidemic since World War II and did a study on that, random control trial study. Masks are not effective. And it's just over and over for whatever reason that the effect would be very small because, as I said, most people at any given time don't have the virus. Even those that do, if they're not symptomatic, they're probably not spreading it, not very many or not very often. They don't use the mask correctly. Everyone's touching their face. It's impossible to live your life and use masks properly. It's hard enough for surgeons to do it just while they're in the surgery room for sometimes an hour and sometimes several hours. You can't go through life and use a mask in an effective manner. And that's really a good example of what a trained scientist would not be an expert in. They can tell you, yes, if your mask is on, you use it properly, and you don't stick your fingers underneath the mask to scratch your lip or whatever, it will stop X amount of virus from transmitting through the vapors that you... that that come out of your mouth and nose normally. But they can't tell you how society is going to react, how many people are going to comply, what percentage at any given time. They have models that try to predict how many people are going to be infected by a certain point, and the models are always wrong. So these are things that their expertise don't apply to. So when it comes to the question of how did this happen, there's a philosophical difference between me and somebody like Dr. Malone. And the thing I left out, the lead I buried about Malone is he's really an insider in this whole government public health complex. He's worked on every pandemic before this one. He talked about 
how he got a call from a CIA agent that he's worked with on different pandemics in the past who told him, you got to mobilize your team because of this thing in Wuhan. So he's very much in the middle of the complex. He's an insider. And I think that's what all of the hostility towards him is about. It's one thing for somebody from the outside to criticize the system. But when you got a guy on the inside kind of throwing a chair through the window, that cannot be tolerated. But he believes in the system. So all he could come up with to answer the question of how was the FDA just totally didn't do their job. All these protocols we've had in the past, they didn't follow those. And I'm sure there's some truth to that. What does somebody like me who doesn't believe the FDA should even exist say about that? I say, well, what if there was no FDA? Of course, we're talking about a whole different world there. For what it's worth, yeah, the FDA didn't do its job. I think I could probably name two dozen examples where the FDA did a very poor job of either keeping life-saving medicine off the market and costing lives that way, or approving something for who knows what reason that wasn't safe or effective. And I'm talking about medicines in the past. This is the problem with a central planner. It never has all the information. It has all the wrong incentives. And so several times through the interview, and it's, it's a long one, as all of Rogan's episodes are, Rogan asked the question that's on just about everybody's mind who has any skepticism at all about the COVID regime. And it comes down to a question we ask ourselves about government in general. And it's, are they stupid or are they evil? Is this some plot, some ulterior motive that they're, they're doing these inexplicable things? Or are they just incompetent? Government is incompetent. It doesn't do anything well. So my answer to that is not necessarily either one. And this is one of the things I've said from time to time, and I, I really want to emphasize. I don't believe that the problem is the people are bad. I don't believe that the problem is the people are evil and they're not necessarily stupid. In fact, quite the contrary, one of the problems with government is that it attracts the smartest people, takes them out of doing something productive in society and puts them in a system where all the incentives are wrong. And look at Anthony Fauci. Now, whatever you want to say about this guy, he did graduate from Cornell Medical School. And being somebody who used to recruit physicians, I was actually a headhunter for doctors at one point in my life earlier on. I could tell you that stupid people do not get into Cornell Medical School, graduate and finish the residency that Fauci did. So at least when he came out of there, this was a smart person. It's kind of like the Ivy League. Now, it might be a little different for Harvard. Nobody stupid gets into Harvard unless your father was president or something like that. But sometimes you have to wonder if they come out as smart as they were when they went in with some of the things they teach them there. But in any case, the government attracts very highly qualified people. And yes, it may attract people who are more inclined to boss other people around, and that's why they go into government. They believe that government is the answer, and it may allow people who are less competent than they'd have to be in the private sector to keep their jobs longer. But in general, it's not the people that are the problem. It is the system. It's those incentives. And the converse of this argument is I don't believe that people 
in the private sector are any more noble. They're just operating in a system that has different incentives that forces them to either be efficient and productive or face dire consequences, whether that be getting fired from your job or going out of business. And my non-conspiracy theory about the COVID regime is this is just what we're seeing. You have people like Fauci, lifelong bureaucrats that have been in a system that puts no market discipline to anything that they do for 40 plus years. They make a mistake, they do something bad, there's no consequences. Unless they commit some kind of crime or moral turpitude, they're allowed to keep failing. And in fact, as we've often said, when you fail in government, the assumption is that we just didn't fund it enough. We're going to have to send more money towards that failure to turn it into a success. Where in the marketplace, if you fail, then you go out of business. And that might be severe and harsh, but it does lead to better outcomes. And that's why the market works and the government doesn't. So the other thing that happens with the government is because there are no consequences for failure, a tremendous amount of arrogance would start to build up in in a person like Fauci. And he's not the only one there. There are plenty of other lifelong bureaucrats. The people that get into these agencies tend to be there for their entire careers. Why would they leave? They have great pay. They have wonderful benefits. They get benefits that nobody in the private sector would get, like a pension. Nobody gets a pension in the private sector. And that's not a matter that the private sector is bad. It's a matter that we've discovered pensions don't work. They never have, okay? So when it doesn't work, the private sector gets rid of it by necessity, not out of being more noble or better than the people in the government. It's out of necessity. So I call this a non-conspiracy theory because I don't think that you need to have sinister motives in order to get the results that we've seen. So a conspiracy is not just an agreement between more than one person to achieve some goal. It has to be a sinister goal. It has to be one with evil intent. And I should qualify that no conspiracy is too outrageous for me not to admit of its possibility. Not after what I've seen over the past two years. I'll never be dismissive of Alex Jones again, right? I mean, I'm not taking what he says at face value, but it'd be interesting to compare his veracity record with CNN's. So I tend to look at these things these days in degrees of probability. You know, I've heard the whole, the vaccines are a conspiracy to depopulate the earth. Now, maybe they are. I tend to doubt it, okay? Is it possible? Sure, I've read the statements that Bill Gates and his father and others of his ilk have made about the earth being grossly overpopulated, and uh, he certainly has the means to influence things in that direction. I just think it's really unlikely. And Another explanation that just isn't persuasive to me is that this is all just about money. And that's not some defense of capitalism that the profit motive is always good, because in this case, this would be the profit motive mixed up with the government and government mandates. So, of course, that's not the market at work. But even though it's not, I I just don't think that the whole motivation for this nightmare we've had over the last two years was just so Pfizer and Moderna could make several more billion or tens of billions. Now, don't get me wrong. That certainly is part of it. And that certainly biases them in the direction of doing the things that they've done. And I'm not saying that Fauci and others aren't compromised by their connections to these people. 
This is the whole reason we don't want the fascist New Deal regulatory scheme in the first place, is that it corrupts and corrupts everybody on the private and the public side. But I think that you could get the same results that we've seen over the past two years without the people in the big pharmaceutical companies and the government or just the government or whatever your theory is having some sinister plan. Now, they may have one, as I said, but it is not necessary for there to be a sinister plan in order for everything we've seen to have occurred. And it's a matter of worldview. It's a matter of the worldview of people like Anthony Fauci, who populate the government agencies, believing beyond any doubt that they have the answers and that if only people would listen to what they say, that some good outcome would occur. And let me say that equally important is a large part of the population holds that view, that we should have this central agency that's in charge of something like a pandemic and that we are to listen to everything they say without question. And that's the only answer to getting a good outcome. So you put those two things together, and that's a large part of the COVID regime and the nightmare that we've been living through. And let, let me give you a scenario, and I'm just speculating here, but it's a lot like the Patriot Act scenario. So the Patriot Act was not written in response to 9-11. The Patriot Act was written probably over decades, little pieces at a time, all representing powers that anti-terrorist agencies or law enforcement agencies always wanted to acquire, but were not able to without the emergency of 9-11. This is a human nature thing, and the public is just as much to blame. I can't remember the name of the show, but whichever one had Dennis Franz as a character called Sipowitz, I just remember the few times I'd watched those shows, how pissed off he always was that uh, he's going to walk because the defendant has rights. Rights are always portrayed in all these shows as this impediment to the good and true law enforcement officer from bringing justice against the uh, terrible criminals. Now, of course, until there's a trial and some kind of adversarial process whereby we know this person is guilty. And even then, the government's record is not all that great at even executing that. We don't know that this person is a criminal. So, of course, that's why those protections are there. But there's a natural instinct to want to push them aside, not only on the part of government agents, but also on the part of the public to say, oh, how many times have you heard pedophiles don't deserve Fourth Amendment or Fifth Amendment protections? Okay, First of all, the Fifth Amendment, the due process part, that's how we find out if they really are a pedophile. And yes, the government often gets the wrong person in cases like that as well. So you put these elements all together. And let's just say that something like the lockdown scenario and the mask mandates were already sitting around as possible policies that... Some people believed in, despite all the evidence. If you go back and read the Event 201 document that uh, I'll post on the show notes page as well, it admits of the possibility of a pandemic so serious that these things should be implemented. Now, of course, if they don't work, it doesn't matter how serious the pandemic is. You still don't do something that doesn't work, but these people don't think like that. And when you can exist in a government agency, let's say, 
whose sole purpose is to fight a pandemic or fight terrorism and with no market discipline imposing consequences for any collateral damage you might cause in your efforts, well, of course, you're going to be willing to support policies that anybody outside your bubble would deem insane. And I think that is what we've seen here. I'm sure most of the COVID regime was laying around in documents, in procedures. You've got people that spend all day wargaming this stuff. And again, they don't have to deal with the collateral damage that they cause. That's why trade-offs just don't exist in the minds of government bureaucrats because they have no responsibility for the downside. So you've got all these policies laying around, just like the ones in the Patriot Act, maybe for decades, and COVID comes along, and here's our chance. Let's take it for a spin. And one of the policies might have been, we need to get to a much higher vaccination level than is normally expected through voluntary market means. We'll get single focused on that. And of course, it would be easy for a bureaucrat to say, hey, I know there's some concerns about this vaccines, but I know in my mind that the good is going to outweigh the bad. So we don't have time in an emergency to debate whether this has a little bit higher a risk than the vaccine we tested for 10 years. We've got to dampen all that. We've got to, we've got to make sure everybody gets the vaccine as quickly as possible. So these kinds of decisions and this kind of reasoning is easy in an agency like that, even without a sinister motive. If you've convinced yourself that lockdowns and mask mandates didn't work in the past just because of some noncompliance or, or whatever, then it would be easy for you to say, look, I don't like to deplatform people or stifle free speech, but this is an emergency and we just can't afford to have this debate right now. We could have it later. So you could see where the incentives provided by the government could lead to exactly what we've seen over the past two years without necessarily sinister motive. So I hope this doesn't make me an apologist for Dr. Fauci. I certainly don't consider myself that, but I'm trying to analyze the facts that I see the best I can. And really, it leads me to the conclusion that I've always had. Government doesn't work. It's not a matter that we don't have the right people in there. It's a matter that it's a system with backwards incentives. People respond to incentives. And let's just take somebody who goes into the government, the ultimate do-gooder, who really wants to do good. They're going to be very frustrated or even a highly skilled person is going to get backwards results because of the incentives. So that's it for today. Again, don't forget, look in your email if you're on my list for an email titled, It's the Fed Stupid. That's my new book. I'm just waiting for the cover to be finalized. I gave the final comments this morning and maybe ready by the time I get off here today. If you're not on my email list, make sure you go sign up right now. If you go to my website, you should get a pop-up or you can find on the front page a place to just fill in your email address and you'll go to a page where you can download a free copy of an Annie State Christmas for limited time. And Christmas isn't over till the 6th. That's the 12th day of Christmas. So the book's still in season as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, again, everybody, Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to a great year. And I'll see you on the next episode coming up with John Bush, who will be talking about Bitcoin and trying to get 
what the heck this thing called the blockchain is through my thick head. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget to get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, at antistatechristmas.com. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally listen. And please do go to the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom website at tommullentalksfreedom.com and leave a review. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.